when Angela and I were in the process of moving to Kelowna, it was way back in 2005. So this is uh, going back a, a few years, and uh, I can't believe it's, it's actually been that long that we've lived in Kelowna. And um, I came out on my own to look at houses, to find a place. Now, choosing the right house to buy is one of life's biggest decisions. Like, it's up there. It's, it's, it's pretty high up in the choices and the decisions that you make in life. And when you have to do it without your spouse in hopes that she likes it, the pressure goes, like, really high. Like, that's, uh, that, that's, a, that's a big deal. And um, I was here for over three days. I looked at about 25 or 30 homes with the realtor. We were just in and out, in and out, just hitting the line. Some of them you go in, you're like, nope. And other ones you're looking at, you like, but it's too much. And there's just that, that whole process. And um, the pressure was on. And as we drove up to one of the houses, there were kids playing street hockey out front and their neighbors were visiting. The, 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 the whole street looked clean and nice. There were no burned out, rusted out cars in the front yards and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it was in a good location. A couple blocks away, there was a school. And um, when I walked into the house, the realtor opened the door and we walked into the house. Um, the owners had put a cherry pie in the oven. <sighs> now, you may be surprised because of my fine physique, but I love me some cherry pie, okay? And um, if you only hear one thing this morning... It's that if you ever want to bless your pastor, you should know that my love language is pie, okay? And, um, and just kind of file that one away for when the Lord prompts your heart. But I, I knew that um, when, I, when I walked into that, that house and I smelled that cherry pie, it was the Lord's way of saying, Chad, my son, this is the house I have chosen for you. And um, now, no house is perfect, uh, but this one just kind of felt right. It was in pretty good shape had more than enough room, uh, had a nice big backyard for the kids to play in. We were coming from Langley, had a townhouse in Langley. Our entire backyard in our townhouse in Langley was the size of a, a kid's sandbox. So this house was a, was a definite improvement for, for having a young family. And um, I looked out the window. I was standing in, 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 the wind, uh, standing in the kitchen, looking out the window, and I could picture my kids playing in a tire swing under the big tree in the big backyard. And somewhere between looking out the window and taking in the wafts of cherry pie, it happened. That, that house moved from my head and into my heart. And I knew that I had to have it. Uh, it's amazing how the rational stuff, the pros and cons and the logic and the wisdom and all that, it's amazing how that doesn't seem as important once something gets a hold of your heart. It's like, um, you know, the, the, the price was a little high, it had a few issues, it was a little dated, the appliances weren't great, the carpet needed some love, and I had been looking at all kinds of, and you know what, those same deficiencies eliminated all kinds of other homes. But somehow with this one, they just didn't quite seem as important. And, uh, and I went to bed that night thinking about that house, and I woke up the next day thinking about that house, and and a couple days later, I bought a cherry pie for 325 grand. And, um, and we've been in it ever since. And my wife likes it, and, and, and it worked out. And, but you know, isn't it, there's, there's something weird happens to us. What happens to us when we, something gets a hold of our heart? When something uh, grabs us, it's like we, we get weird. It's all we can think about. If you've ever fallen in love with somebody, you'll know what I mean. And once something gets a hold of your heart, here's the thing. 
By the time it gets into our heart, we have no more defenses left. By the time it's there, that's it. It's past the last gate and it's got in and it's just there. And um, maybe there's only two things you should remember today. One is that I like cherry pie and, um, and the other is that whatever captures your heart determines the course of your life. Um, we will always steer our life in the direction of what's in our heart. I'm reminded of what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27, 28. He says this. He says, uh, he's speaking to the, to the Jews. He says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So remember, Jesus is teaching a Jewish audience that is, uh, they excelled at religious knowledge. There was a lot of emphasis on making sure things on the outer appearance looked good and they gained the approval of others. This is the crowd of people that would love to pray in the temple and love to pray in the street corners and the synagogue so that everybody could hear them and look at them and see how holy they were. And Jesus says, that's not what's important. You should go into your home and go into the closet and close the door where no one sees you and then pray. It's not about gaining the approval and all those things of other people. It's about honoring the Lord with your heart. This is the, the culture that Jesus is speaking to and teaching. And um, they were a culture that was bound in the legalism of trying to please God by following a list and a formula of do's and don'ts. And they had not yet awakened their heart to the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. And when Jesus comes along, he says, don't just worry about what's going on on the outside. Pay attention to what's on the inside. And this is part of the transformative gospel message of Jesus is he transforms us, he renews us, he's focused on what's on the inside and he's not so focused on what's on the outside. It's not to say what's on the outside doesn't matter, but it's because the outward act of sin always follows the inner parts of our heart. And could it be that Jesus is much less concerned with our actual sin than he is with the root cause of it in our life? And he's telling him to stop focusing so much on the do's and don'ts and trying to look holy on the outside and instead pay attention to the purity of your own heart. Because the battle is always for our heart. Because if you get the heart right, the rest will follow. I think of James 5.15, the, the New Living Translation, which is what I normally speak from, says it this way. It says, desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The NIV uses the word conceive. It says that, that, that thoughts and temptations and desires are conceived in our heart. And then they give birth to sin. And there's a formula about how sin works. There's a process for how it works. And it's the same for every one of us. When the desires of the world grab our heart, we will eventually be led astray. Selfish people are gripped by materialism. They, when they're gripped by materialism, something began in them to covet for things in their heart long before they started to hoard things for themselves. Angry people held on to bitterness 
and unforgiveness in their heart. Before they became polluted and toxic, before resentment took over their life, before they began to lash out at others around them. You see, it starts in our heart. It's always in our heart first. Something happens, something gets in, it gets a foothold, and it is conceived, and it begins to grow. And eventually, that thought gives birth to an act. Sin starts with a thought, and it grows in our heart, and it leads to an act. And so being vigilant in what we let into our heart is always the wise choice. This is our challenge is what do we make room for in our heart? What do we let in? Because once it's in there, we have no defenses left. So we've been going through the life of David. And one of the things that we've discovered in his story that we, he didn't even necessarily strategically plan the message series about, but just as we've been looking at the talks and, and studying David, what's come through is his story is a story of an ongoing battle for his heart. There are times in his life where he follows hard after God and other times where his heart begins to be led astray. And the story of David, the narrative of David is a, is a story of God trying to capture his heart. In fact, when we're first introduced to him, God chooses him as king because he has a heart for the Lord. And the irony in David's story is when everything is difficult, he maintains a heart after God. But once he becomes king, things begin to change. You see, when he's falsely accused and being hunted by his oppressors, when he has nowhere to lay his head, when he's lost everything, when he's on his own, when his oppressors are coming after him, this is when he follows hard after the Lord. And when he becomes king, and he's rich and powerful beyond his wildest dreams, when he's surrounded by a crowd of yes-men and a crowd of enablers, when he can have whatever, whenever, however he wants, this is when his heart begins to turn away from the Lord. And there's probably a good lesson in here for us. And in many respects, David resembles not unlike what we would see in perhaps modern day rock stars and musicians who are shooting to the top of the charts and perhaps they're just, they're, they just get all of this wealth and fame and fortune and their maturity and their character hasn't quite caught up to it. How many times have we seen a young artist get caught in the trappings of their success and the fame and the wealth and the power is too much to handle? And they appear to have the perfect life, but in reality, they're bankrupting their own soul. And what happens is eventually the depravity of their soul bottoms out and they can no longer satisfy things in the flesh. And their life begins a downward spiral into a tailspin of carnage. And this is the danger and this is the risk of sin and the sinful nature. And I know we don't like to talk about sin in church very often and it seems cliche maybe, I don't know why, but it's a reality, it's, it's why Jesus came to set us free, it's the point of the gospel. You and I are all sinners, we're lost in sin apart from Jesus. And so he comes and his forgiveness is there and he extends forgiveness and, and there's this, this feeding of the flesh that scripture tells us that 
The flesh cannot be satisfied. The sinful nature cannot be satisfied. You can consume and appease and fill as much as you can possibly try, and in the end, it will always leave you wanting for more. And in the process, you will bankrupt your soul trying to fill that hole. This is the danger of sin. And it's the very definition of what it means to gain the whole world but lose your soul. And David, once he becomes king, he has unlimited riches and absolute power, and no one would dare oppose him. And he begins to feed the desires of his heart. David truly gains the whole world, but in the process, he begins to lose his soul. And there was a time David was captured by serving and honoring the Lord, and once he begins to feed the flesh, he begins to be pulled away. He begins to be led astray. So I say again, whatever captures your heart determines the course of your life. Sin starts with a thought, which leads to an act, which leads to spiritual death. 2 Samuel 11, 2, 5, this is kind of part two of our talk last week. I did a great talk last week on David and Bathsheba, and this is kind of part two on this as we round up our series and wind up our series on David. I'm gonna read a few verses so we have some context for this morning. It says, um, late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. And she had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, and she returned home. And later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So now there's a problem. Now David has a problem. This is the point when things begin to unravel in his life. When Bathsheba gets pregnant with David's child, it's while her husband is away at war. And David realized there's a, he's created a problem and he tries to cover up his sin. So he sends to bring Uriah back from the battlefield so he can lay with his wife and then there's a plausible story for the pregnancy. And um, unfortunately, Uriah is a stand-up guy and he refuses to lie with his wife. He won't enjoy the comforts of home while his comrades are intense in the battlefield. And so David arranges to have Uriah killed. And he covers it up by making it look like it happened as part of the battle. And this is a tragic turn of events in the life of David. He, it, it, his fall is swift and tragic. In a short time, David has coveted another man's wife, committed adultery, schemed and lied in multiple cover-ups, and killed one of his loyal men. And it can all be traced back to one afternoon that he spotted a woman bathing in her beauty. I'm sure David wished he could get a mulligan and he could get that afternoon back. If he could just rewind the clock, if he could go back in time, if he could relive that afternoon over again, he would have done it so differently and he would have avoided so much problem. And he got up on that roof to get a breath of fresh air and he was enjoying the, the warm sunshine on his face and looking out over the city. 
And he spots another man's wife and he doesn't look away. Instead, he pauses and he drinks in her beauty. And once he fixes that gaze upon her, he could not get her out of his mind. And the more he thought, the more he wanted her. And that gaze is a costly mistake for David. That gaze is once again seeing the thought and the temptation turn into and begin to be conceived into something else. And by the time he sends his servants to ask who she was, he'd already lost the battle for his heart. He'd already lost it. And when he finds out Bathsheba is already married to one of his loyal soldiers, it's still not enough to dissuade him. And he sends for her knowing what he's going to do, knowing that he was going to be dishonorable to the Lord. You see, logic and reason and the wise choice and knowing what was right and wrong and knowing what he should do, none of that mattered to him because in his heart, he had already lost the battle. This is why we don't win moral decisions, why we don't willpower our way into honoring the Lord. Because once we've lost our heart, we have no defenses. Once we've set our heart on something, we're going to steer our life towards it. And wisdom and knowledge and the right input is not going to dissuade us. Whatever captures our heart determines the course of our life. The battle is always for our heart. I'm gonna get the band to come and we're gonna get ready to kind of close this morning and wind up. And um, where we wanna go this morning is I was thinking about this. It's, it's easy to be critical of David. It's easy to wonder how could he have been so easily led astray. And what we need to remember is David did not give up a fully devoted heart for God in exchange for a single night of passion with Bathsheba. And this is the story of David, and this is one of the lessons of David's life that we apply to our life, is that he'd already been indulging in excess for a long time before Bathsheba comes along. David was indulging in the wealth and power of being king. He was already feeding his fleshly desires each time he took a new wife and concubine into his bed. And so by the time David sends for Bathsheba, his heart has been fixed on the pleasures of this world for a long time. And sending for her that day, that might have been the moment that he committed adultery on the outside. But this is where Jesus' words are so convicting. As Jesus says, it's not just about committing adultery on the outside. It's not just about what you sin where others, because it's about what's in the heart. And the truth is that for David, sin had been in his heart. He had been committing sin. He had had his heart led astray. He had traded his heart for God, for heart, for things of the world for a very long time. You see, David made multiple choices as a king. And he came into his, came into his kingship with his wonderful heart for God. And over time, and just being chipped away at, he began to make little exchanges. And he began to take little pieces of his heart for the Lord and he, would, and he would exchange it for something from the world and for pleasures and for unlimited everything. 
And the more he did that, the more he hungered for it, and the more he had to trade until he had given up and he had broken up his heart for the Lord. And the downward spiral is that those things could never fulfill and satisfy him the way the Lord could. Our heart is created to have relationship with Jesus. And if we are not being filled up with the love and forgiveness of Jesus, we will go looking for something else to fill that place. This is not a new story to us. This is the story of humanity in every culture, in every period of history, all throughout the history of all of humanity. It is when we go looking to fill into our heart the things of this world instead of making peace with the Lord. And so our best defense is always a good offense. And one of the best ways to keep our heart pure is to keep our heart full of Jesus. One of the best ways to have a heart for the Lord and a desire to honor him and a desire to, to, to learn how to push out the world and not begin to let our heart be polluted and corrupted and, and not make those small exchanges for things of the world. The best way to do that is to once again be satisfied, be filled with Jesus. It's how we're created to be. And the more he captures our heart, the easier it is to turn our gaze from the things we're not to look at and to look away and focus them on the things God is calling us to do. We live in a culture that is full of excess. We can have, every one of us can have more or less anything we want, whenever we want, however we want. We have to make a choice to honor the Lord. And the first place we learn, we lose ground. The first place it hits us is always on the inside. It's always in our heart. It's always in private. And if we lose ground there, it becomes a matter of time before our heart is going to lead us astray. Jesus says, you've committed it in your heart. That's where it matters. And so the best way, the best way is to fill up our heart with Jesus and his goodness. I want to pray for you. Would you let me just pray over you this morning? Lord, in this room, there would be many of us that would be able to say in this moment that we have forsaken our first love, our first heart for you. And we've been making a series of small transactions to be filled up on things of the world. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for being comfortable with sin and with things that are not honoring to you. Lord, I pray that your forgiveness and your love would just fill us up. Lord, may we be so filled with your goodness. May we be so satisfied. May we be so captured once again by you that it would be easy to look away from the things of the world. Lord, because you're a better choice.
Help us to build our lives on you. Help us to make room in our heart for you. For those of us that have been clutching on to things in our heart that are not honoring to you, I pray, Lord, you would help us to let go of them. That you would wash us. You'd forgive us. You'd fill our heart full of goodness and mercy and love from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with us? We're going to sing together. We're going to worship in one song. This is a great song about God working and healing and restoring our heart and singing about his goodness, his majesty, his glory. It's a great song to say, Jesus, I want to be filled with your goodness so I can turn away from being filled.